0: When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. You're listening to Maya, my ambition, your ambition.
1: You will hear me say, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And that's not my coined phrase, but I love it because it's true. The minute something challenges you, you have to ask yourself, what do you do with it?
0: Be sure to check out this and other episodes at mayaakai.com.
1: stay everyone welcome to another episode of Maya my ambition your ambition the podcast that I like to say likes to embrace salient topics from a fresh and forward-thinking perspective but the focus of the podcast is really about pulling back that veil of self-sabotage and self-doubt that plagues so many of us in our life but more importantly to help you to identify the ambitions that you're searching for, that you think you're missing, or this you're not hitting the mark on. And the key thing is how to harness the motivation to help you yield the satisfaction, happiness, or success that you seek. Not just in your life, but I want to make it a daily thing that you're able to achieve. That's what Maya is all about. So with that being said, I always say it's important to get comfy, because, you know, these conversations that we have in this particular podcast can be very transparent. Down the road, though, you'll get very vulnerable, probably starting with episode four, this one. So with that being said, whether you're in your car, hopefully you feel relaxed and ready to tune in. If you're sitting at home, hopefully you're alone in your favorite chair, on the couch. Perhaps you have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a glass of wine or, you know, a glass of beer, whatever time of the day it is. Whatever is going to help you to be able to connect with me on a conversation that's going to be one of the most important conversations we have throughout any episodes of Maya. We're jumping into what I feel is the foundation conversation of the relationship realms. Remember, there's four we talked about. Hopefully, you got a chance to listen to episode one through three, which kind of lays the groundwork to that. But if you didn't, you can still hear this one, and it's still going to be able to help you connect whatever we talk about moving forward in this podcast. So you will not be lost if you have not listened to episode one or three. But this podcast is going to jump into those relationship realms that are discussed. Remember, there's four, the personal, private, professional, and pervasive. And this is actually an episode that's been a long time coming. It's been a break in between episode three and this episode four. And it's not that this has been on the back burner for me. It's just that it's such an important conversation. I had to make sure that I really got the things put together to share with you the things that I feel that are going to be important for you to really address the relationship you have with yourself. Because that's what the personal relationship realm is all about. So with that being said, like I said, get comfy. And let's jump right into episode four, getting to know me, myself, and I. Okay, episode four, let's get personal and talk about you. And you can address it as me, myself, and I. As I said, the first and most important of the relationships in the relationship realms that I talked about, remember the four Ps, like I said, personal, private, professional, and pervasive. And we're going to discuss getting personal with yourself via those influencing factors that I talked about in earlier episodes, which are those mental, emotional, physical, and financial influencing factors. But in this particular episode, episode four, me, myself, and I, we're really going to focus on three of them. There will be a part two to this episode because I found there was way too much important information to try to cram into one podcast that I try to keep under an hour. So there will be a part two to this particular episode subject because it is the most important and like I said it's the foundational piece of understanding yourself and self-awareness you must have so we're going to focus more on the mental emotional and physical influencing factors so let me ask you the obvious question you're like obvious Maya this might be a good time to take a sip of your coffee or tea I decided to enjoy some coffee for this particular podcast how well do you think you really know yourself Some of us may say, I think I know myself pretty well. And others may say, it's sketchy. There are times I feel very connected with myself. And there's other times I feel like, who the hell are you? And where did you come from? Okay. If you're a little bit of both, let's say blended in that perspective, it's perfectly okay. Because day to day, mood to mood, situation to situations, we probably fluctuate a little bit in how we feel about ourselves. That doesn't mean at the core of who we are, we change. That's what's important to remember. So, Expanding on that question, how well do you really know yourself, it's interesting, as I was doing some research to talk about this subject, I stumbled across a collection of articles in Psychology Today, and it addressed the question, and this is what the article asserted, and I thought it was a perfect way to really kick off this podcast. How well do you know yourself? Self-knowledge is practically impossible to attain. We are all biased creatures, especially when it comes to the face in the mirror, but you could gain greater objectivity and insight by tuning into a few tested principles and relying on feedback of others. Okay, I thought that was a good way to start this conversation out, but I'm not going to dig into some tested principles, not in this particular episode, or even feeding the feedback of others, but rather the interactions you have others that definitely have shaped who you are. But before we can do that, we have to jump into what I feel was a really important thing mentioned in that assertion by the article on Psychology Today. Being able to achieve greater objectivity. It's important to know the difference between being subjective and objective when you're being reflective of yourself. So let's drill down deep into that idea of objectivity versus subjectivity. These are two words that I wanna jump into because often people tend to confuse them um, and interchange them in sentences all the time. So even though you may know what this is, I always wanna make sure we're operating from a point of true understanding when we have these conversations because most people will flip these two all the time. And when I say, step back and take an objective look at this, I wanna make sure you fully understand what I'm asking you to do. Or if I may say, Perhaps this is an area where you may be more subjective. You'll know exactly what I'm saying to you. So what is subjective? Being subjective or subjectivity means you are basing your opinion or you are viewing something based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. So your idea of something is driven from a more personal perspective versus when you are objective or objectivity, you're not influenced by your personal feelings or opinions and considering and you focus more on representing facts of a situation so subject you use your feelings object you do not hopefully that will help you to be able to distinguish between the two as we progress through this conversation okay so let's jump into the meat and potatoes of this conversation so as i said based on the Psychology Today article, which, by the way, anything I reference, any of my podcasts, you can go to mayakai.com where you can find all the episodes. There's a podcast resource tab and anything I've talked about, I've put a link there so you can go read into greater detail at your own pace what we've discussed. So you don't have to just kind of marinate on this just in the podcast since you can read the articles and kind of begin to additionally form more opinions about some of the things that are talked about in the podcast. So just know that um, that resource is there for you because a lot of different things I'll reference from research that I have and I'd like for you to be able to have access to those things just like I did. One of the first resources that you're going to want to jump into deeper because we're going to really kind of do more of an overview of this than deep diving in the article on the website is going to allow you to read in more detail on this. So I'm not going to talk about things in this episode that you can test your objectivity or rely on the feedback of others. We'll get into that in part two of this conversation. This particular conversation, we're going to talk about the things that influenced who you are, and boy, can that be a whole lot of things. So I decided to get a little clinical on you um, and say, you know, attachment styles are huge about who we are. Though Freud is not the father of attachment styles, he definitely was the individual that talked about childhood experiences and how you progress through certain development stages were going to impact what kind of adult you were. And ultimately, that's really what attachment styles talk about. What happened with you as a child, how your parents or caregiver treated you, then manifested itself itself. And how you are as an adult now and how you interact and communicate with others. Go figure. And none of us are remiss from this. We have heard this a million times. But what people probably really haven't heard that much about is specifically what exactly attachment style could they be or do they have something that could be a hybrid, which is usually not the case, but it's not impossible, so to speak. Okay, so there are four styles of attachment that pretty much have framework to them that can help people to kind of understand how they were reared as a child by either, it could be biological parents, adoptive parents, a caregiver, whatever the case may be, and how it impacted you. So how you attach to other adults is going to strongly correspond with how you attach to others as a child. Isn't that interesting to think? So how I'm relating to people is my childhood self. But in a way, it really is. It's really interesting. And there are four attachment styles that have been formulated to help people to understand who they may be based on those attachment styles as a child. The four child-adult attachment styles are secure, which is defined more as being autonomous, avoidant, which is more dismissing, anxious, which tends to be more preoccupied, and disorganized, which is an individual who may be more unresolved. Right now, somebody's probably saying, Oh Jesus, I think I might be this one. But before you think you decide which one you are, let's flesh out a bit more which each of those attachment styles look like, what went into it, before you can say, I think this is me. Because the part of this podcast is not to help you to necessarily diagnose yourself with anything. It's to gain greater insight into who you are. Because when you gain greater insight, you literally have self-awareness on a whole nother level. And that's when transformation and change can truly begin. Things I want you to take note of as we talk about these attachment styles. Key things that are significant that really is the difference between them. So within each you're going to hear conversation about perception or how individuals deal with closeness or emotional intimacy. You're also going to hear conversations about how people communicate their emotions and their needs and how they listen and understand the emotion and needs of others, that empathy piece. Also, you're going to hear about modes of how people respond with conflict. And lastly, expectations about their partners and relationships. So those kind of internal working models that we won't get into. But those are different areas that each attachment style will address in its own way that you should pay attention to as you're trying to figure out where you think you might fit in the scheme of things with an attachment style. Okay, so let's dive into talking about the four attachment styles. I'll try to explain these without being too overly clinical. Keep it simple, layman's terms, so to speak. So the first one's secure. And to be honest, it's the one that most people would strive to be because it's secure, which means there's low avoidance and low anxiety within this person. They're comfortable with intimacy, not worried about rejection or preoccupied with relationships. So if there were statements that could describe this person, it would be something like, it's easy for me to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being abandoned or about someone getting too close to me. So people that are secure in their attachment styles are open, they're trusting, They don't have concerns that someone may not like them. They may not be good enough. They don't get anxious about having to express how they feel. The next attachment style, avoidance, remember it's the one that's more dismissing, is high on avoidance, so to speak, and low on anxiety, though, interesting enough. They're uncomfortable with closeness and primarily value independence and freedom. They're not so much worried about the partner's availability. So if there were statements that could describe them, it would be, I'm comfortable being close to others, but I find it difficult to trust and depend on others and prefer that others do not depend on me. It is very important that I feel independent and self-sufficient and probably one of the bigger issues I'm gonna encounter is my partner wants me to be more intimate than I am comfortable being. Interesting. Then you have that anxious as we refer to, preoccupied attachment style. That's a low avoidance but high on anxiety person, hence anxious. Um, that could be described as a attachment style that craves closeness and intimacy, um, but they're very insecure about the relationship. So some describing statements might be, I want to be extremely emotionally close, you know, kind of merge with others, but others are reluctant to get close to me as I would like to be. Um, I often worry, that my partner doesn't love or value me and will abandon me. My inordinate needs for closeness scare people away. So that might be a person who seems kind of clingy or even codependent, the word you might have heard. Then there's that fourth attachment style, which is often referred to as disorganized or unresolved because it tends to be a little anxious and avoidant, so to speak. And it's because that particular attachment style is high on avoidance and it's high on anxiety. So we would describe that attachment style as being uncomfortable with intimacy and worried about a partner's communication and love. So if I had to craft statements that could describe that particular attachment style, I would say, um, I'm uncomfortable getting close to others and I find it difficult to trust and depend depend on them. I worry that I will be hurt if I get close to my partners. That's the disorganized type of attachment style that is both anxious and avoidant put together. So with that being said, you may be thinking, Maya, look, given day to day, I might be one of those people at any given moment. Because <laughs> you know, sometimes what's interesting is who we are is greatly impacted by the people that we interact with. As Can you say that person brings out the worst in me or that person brings out the best in me? So remember, these are just things to help you to understand. It doesn't mean that it's concrete, it's set in stone, and that there's no variation and there's no movement in these attachment styles. The thing was to try to help you to understand perhaps how you relate to others and why that might be. So let's flesh out a bit more and kind of give more descriptors that could possibly help you to understand this better. So if you're autonomous, meaning secure, you're going to be that kind of person That is comfortable and warm loving and emotionally close relationships Um, you're going to be comfortable depending on your partner and you will allow your partner to depend on you you will accept your partner's needs for separateness without feeling rejected or threatened Um, there's a certain amount of independence that you're okay with for yourself as well as for your partner you're trusting and empathetic and very tolerant of differences and forgiving because of those reasons. You communicate very well, your emotions and needs. You're very open and honest, and the key thing is you tend to be attuned to the needs of your partner as well, and you respond appropriately. You don't avoid conflict when it comes along. You manage emotions well, like I said. You're not overly upset about relationship issues. You can process through them and realize that it's not the end all to be all unless it's a bigger situation that requires that type of perspective. That's because you have insight. And your ability to resolve things and because of that forgiveness about past relationship issues and hurt allows you to really be able to be autonomous in a relationship as well as interact and connect with someone. So we talked about as a child how you learn these things and it comes from something we call in psychology is modeling or scaffolding which means children emulate what they see the key figures whether it's parents grandparents the caregiver whoever it was in your life do so with an autonomous secure individual that means they were around adults that were sensitive warm and caring to them but more importantly they were really attuned to your needs and took cues from your emotions and behaviors and hence responded to you not kind of leaving you in a vacuum of feeling insecure when something happened that you needed reinforcement or security about and this is how you become autonomous because they showed you how to become autonomous by being able to address and deal with emotion. Next up is that dismissive avoidant attachment style. So in more detail, this this is an attachment style that's emotionally distant and rejecting in intimate relationships. Um, there's a preference to keep partners at arm's length. Um, and often partners keep wanting more from this individual. Um, they so to speak, deactivate attachments. So they don't want to have needs, feelings, or behaviors that show they have any need for someone else, Um, which means when you start talking about intimacy, uh, they see that as a loss of independence and prefer to be more autonomous than to have togetherness. Because if I become dependent or too intimate with you, that means I'm more reliant and I want to avoid that pretty much at all costs. Also with this attachment style, the avoidant piece, remember, is huge with this. Um, They can't really depend on others and they really don't feel comfortable if their pair partner, not parent, but you know what? Understand these attachment styles become not just in relationships with that are romantic, but it's also how you interact with within all the other relationship realms. So just know that who this person is within this personal realm, it flows into the others as well. So, I may be saying partner but you could insert the word significant other you could insert child you could insert boss you could insert friends how you interact with people comes from this part of how you relate and how you attach and feel comfortable attaching with them so when you have that dismissive avoidant type of personality you're not able to really depend on your partner or to allow them to do it with you to lean into you as well Um, communication often tends to be very, we might say intellectual, lacking of emotion, so to speak, because people that tend to be dismissive are not comfortable with talking about emotion. So they avoid conflict, um, just because they don't, it comes with too much emotion, whether it be anger, whether it be vulnerability, whatever it is, it's more than they want to reveal or have to show to someone else. Which means people who are dismissive or avoidant sometimes may come across as cool very controlled, stoic, um, self-sufficient, and definitely it always seems like there's a narrow emotional range for them. They really prefer to be alone, so to speak. Um, What's interesting, though, because it sounds like, oh my gosh, who wants to be around a dismissive, avoidant person? One thing they tend to be good at is they're good in crisis because of the fact that they don't insert emotion into things immediately. They can take charge and make decisions not based on emotion, but based on what's rational because they're that intellectual type. So there is on the flip side, something about that that can be a positive and where they kind of find the area where they excel from a personality standpoint. So you got to ask yourself, so if a person is dismissive and avoidant, well, what kind of childhood did they have? What were their parents or caregivers like interesting enough? One thing that has been found in the research that created these attachment styles is that dismissive avoidant personality or t- attachment styles. Um, usually the parent or caregiver was emotionally unavailable to the child. Um, they tend themselves to be disengaged and detached. So as a child that person was more likely to have avoidant attachments their parents pretty much skirted dealing with them most of the time when things came along or maybe they stepped in when something had to be taken care of that required immediate attention but if it had any emotion attached to it they were absent they were mia with the child so hence the child modeled that very similar behavior so that's your dismissive avoidant personality type or attachment style moving into our third attachment style preoccupied and or we refer to it as anxious, Um, greater insight into how they are from, as we often think of as more personality traits, so to speak, as we're talking about here. Um, Insecure and intimate relationships. They're constantly worried about being rejected, abandoned, um, and they're often very preoccupied with their relationship. They're, as we might say, very hyperactive with that attachment and that need. Um, That's where that maybe codependency, Um, neediness might be a description of someone who's preoccupied. Um, And that neediness often requires for them to have ongoing reassurance. They often want to be a part of their significant other, partners, whatever. Whatever they're doing, they want to be a part of it, like, all the time. Which, for a lot of people, can be what feels like they're being suffocated and can often push people away. Um, A person who's preoccupied and anxious will tend to ruminate about unresolved past issues from from their family, other relationships, and often because they can't get past those situations, um, it tends to intrude into their present perception of what's going on in their relationship, which often creates things like fear, hurt, anger, and rejection. Even if it's not really true, they're projecting it into their current relationship. Um, So hence, there's a bit of oversensitivity to a partner's actions and moods. So they take into account their partner's behavior, as it must be something I've done. Something's wrong here. And it may have nothing to do with them necessarily. So it's safe to say you can probably gauge from a personality standpoint with this per, with this attachment style that um, they're highly emotional. Um, and with that, often they can come across as being combative, angry, controlling, argumentative, and have often poor personal boundaries. Right now somebody's saying, oh my gosh. I think that's my significant other <laughs> or i know a girl at work who's just like that or that's my boss because um, you're hearing these descriptions and if you're not thinking of yourself you may be thinking of someone within those other relationship realms your child or whatever that exhibits some of these personality traits because what i'm describing to you really are personality traits of the attachment styles um Something else about, you know, with the high emotional side of people who are preoccupied or anxious really comes with how they communicate. Um, They're not collaborative in conversations with people. Um, They often assert a lot of responsibility um, on issues. And they tend to like want to put blame on others. So that accountability piece would be the easy way to say it is often really not there with people who are preoccupied or anxious. And the other thing about them is that they often can come across as moody. Um, and it seems like they, they're drawn to conflict and that they might want to, so to speak, stir the pot. Because if something is underlying is bothering them because they're ruminating on it, then they've got to stir it to figure out what's going on with it. So you got to ask yourself, well, what kind of childhood did this person have that they exhibit these kind of personality traits, so to speak, right? Well, one thing that we've learned about people that are preoccupied and anxious in their childhood is that there definitely was an inconsistent attunement with how they were raised by their parents. Um, And their parents often were exactly like this. So what you're going to find is, and we've already said it, we mirror what we see. So what's interesting, though, because you may say, well, I know someone like that, but not 100%. Well, then you could start asking yourself the question is, did they come from a single-parent household? Was there a mother and a father? And if they were, what were their parents' personalities like? Because we can tend to pull from a little bit of both, even if they weren't in the same household, but you were still interacting with them outside the household. You're still going to absorb That experience as a child so what you may have gotten from your mother versus what you've gotten from your father is still going to impact you and how you respond to people and situations so you may see mom be cool as a cucumber when something goes wrong and dad blows off the handle I swear I'm not just saying it to to be gender focused on men being more hot-headed and aggressive than women I'm not but I'm just giving a random example so don't take it personally fellas if you're listening um but these are dimensions that make this even more layered when you talk about personality traits. But one thing that we know about people that are preoccupied and anxious, and there's an in, there's definitely an inconsistent attunement with how they were raised. They were given a lot of, as we can maybe say, mixed signals, so to speak. And the final attachment style, which is disorganized and unresolved, which we said is very avoidant and anxious at the same time. Those are individuals from a personality. Trait standpoint, um, they tend to have a lot of very unresolved mindsets and emotions, um, and there tends often to be either memories that make people this way that are this way, um, or some type of previous trauma that has left an impression on them that they've never really processed and been able to get to get past. So just know with individuals that are always avoidant and anxious, there's a lot of underlying truth to their story that they themselves maybe have not embraced or acknowledged. Um, And often even with those traumas, it may be from loss um, and they've never mourned or resolved. They may often um, have lost a parent early in life and they never resolved or mourned it and then instantly the person that you maybe were modeling is absent and maybe you got pushed from person to person or perhaps you were adopted and you find that out and now you feel like you're in a vacuum and you're not sure how to feel because maybe you didn't feel like you belong there's so many things i'm just giving examples of how people that are conflicted this way because unresolved the, the other word would be conflicted would be key for this so definitely they have a very unresolved mindset Um, They often cannot tolerate emotional closeness in relationships, and they're often argumentative. um, They anger quickly, um, and they often usually have very poor emotional regulation and often can kind of be abusive in their own way. And they tend to always be in dysfunctional relationships, and they like to keep repeating those patterns patterns of negativity and dysfunction in their relationships, and sometimes it's unbeknownst to them. That's the interesting part. Um, they often can be very intrusive and frightening, um, especially when something triggers a memory for them. Um, they're, they're trying to avoid the pain, so they may become very distant. And often people that are, you know, considered to be unresolved with this av- anxious and avoidant personality traits, um, there's often severe depression and PTSD associated with them. So it's, it's not like with this personality t- trait and style, you're going to see it and know it. You're going to say, there's a lot of turmoil going on here. And we know people like that. Now, mind you, this is just traits. It doesn't mean a person will embody all of these things. These are things you just might see. Often you'll see that they're very antisocial. They will lack empathy. And they're often very remorseful. Um, they can be narcissistic and, ag- and aggressive, and often, unfortunately, we tend to see substance abuse tied to what they're struggling with, and often, sometimes, criminality can fall into it, too. They just seek out – they fall into bad situations that end up putting them in worse situations than where they're started. What you can know about a person when you talk about their background, you don't even have to use your imagination on this. Likely, as a child, they were mistreated, um, and in that mistreating, it was never resolved for them. And that mistreatment could have come from multiple sources, but one thing for sure that they experienced on a regular or consistent basis or in a time that impacted them that has really rolled forward with them is a lot of fear and anger from the adults that were in their life. So you may know someone has some of these unresolved issues and they may not be everything I described, but if you ever come across someone who seems like this, the flag may go up in your head and you may say, this person has some deep-seated issue they've never resolved, and it literally has grown and festered and consumed their lives, and they probably don't even know it. Or they don't want to think about it because they have to think about it and resolve it seems more painful than just trying to push the actual memory away within itself. So those are the four attachment styles. Like I said, you can always go to mayakai.com and click on the podcast resource tab. And there are articles that will go into deeper detail if you wanna read more on this and just kind of explore it. Because maybe you're thinking, this might be a bit me. Um, Or you may say, I think I'm dealing with somebody else that's like this. But remember, the part of this podcast, this personal relationship realm is about me, myself and I. It's not looking for this in others. It's, is any of this within you? And how has this impacted your relationship with yourself? How has it related, you know, then it impacts your relationship with others and those other relationship realms with our, those private relationships, family, friends, children, significant others, professionals, coworkers, and those pervasive realms, those relationships that have impact, but they maybe don't have as much meaning as the private and the professional ones do. So we're going to put a spin on this as we start to, Kind of wind down the podcast and say, well, as I'm exploring my attachment style, how do I maybe express it and what might I need? And this is where your language of love can pop in. We're going to lighten it up a bit, but it's very insightful at the same time. So uh, there are five love languages, meaning ways that you need for individuals to respond for you, to feel love, appreciated, and comforted. Go figure. There's kind of a, a roadmap for this. So you don't have to go through life blindly wondering how to explain someone when you need. Um, the five are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and personal touch. And I guarantee you, you are one of these more than the other. And it's very also possible that you maybe could be one or two but you're going to lead with one more than the other so your attachment style obviously is going to play very heavily into what you need Um, obviously we could say if you're a secure person then words of affirmation may not be something that you need um receiving gifts it depends but before i tell you what you may or may not be let's discuss what they are so Words of affirmation, it's, it, it, it hinges on that old saying, um, actions don't always speak louder than words. There are some people, have you ever been with someone, who have said, I just need to hear you say it. Why can't you say you love me? Or have you felt that way? I feel like he loves me. I feel like she loves me. But for some reason, he just won't say it. And there's a part of you, a deep-seated part of you, that needs that more than anything else maybe that they're doing so that actions don't always speak louder than words is what words of affirmation about so this is your language of love if that's the way you feel it's that you know complaint a lot of people have that they feel that's a disconnect with people being able to say i love you and often hearing that from someone means more to them it's more important than anything else that can be done so behind that they feel that there's a true sense of connectivity and commitment, so to speak, when the words are formed opposed to just the actions. On the flip side, though, you've got people that will flat out say, no, you can tell me that you love me, but it's more of what you show me. But don't worry, there's a language of love that fits into that too. Another type of language of love is quality time. We all know how people feel about quality time, right? Um, Quality time pretty much It isn't enough to say that you love me, so to speak. I really need your undivided attention. So that really means that when we schedule to do things, you're attentive to my needs. You're present with me. I feel that we're not just going through the motions of being together. And in today's world and relationships, this can be very complicated because of the fact that most people are distracted by social media, cell phones. Have you ever been out to dinner with someone? And looked at another table and saw the person sitting across from you, and they were both on their phones, or one person wasn't, and the other person was looking at them, or one better, has that ever been you? And you feel to yourself, you can't put your phone down for an hour to spend quality time with me? So it's not just about making the time for people where quality time matters. It's being present and attentive with the people during that time. Receiving gifts. And it's interesting because don't mistake this language of love for materialism because most people would think, well, I got to buy her stuff or she won't be happy. Well, understand really what that means. Is that you feeling that way or does she feel that way? The receiver of gifts thrive more on the fact that you're showing them love and thoughtfulness and there's effort behind the gift. This speaks to a lot of people. It's like, a visual form. It's concrete. I can hold it. Um, it's something that I may have attachment to or that memory forms like, oh, you know, I, you know, he bought me this necklace. It was our first anniversary or the person brought me flowers the first time we went on a date or something like that. You know, um, a graduation, whatever that person, my, my parents brought me balloons. Cause remember these languages of love flow across all your relationship realms in some capacity, different in each relationship realm but there's still an existence that words of affirmation don't change and your friendships are at work or pervasive You need to not maybe hear somebody say, I love you, but maybe I appreciate you. Quality time is the same thing. You know, you want to feel like with your friends that you're not the person that's just being called because someone needs you, but they appreciate you. And when you hang out together, you feel like they appreciate that time with you. Appreciation is going to be that word that overarches, really, all of these love languages to tell you the truth. So don't think of a person likes receiving trinkets or gifts. It means they're materialistic. Just that way, it's their visualization of seeing how much that you care. Just like a bonus at work. That's receiving shows that someone appreciates your effort and hard work. So it's interesting because most people make the assumption that people that like receiving gifts might be gold diggers. And understand, there could be an underlying attachment style behind why some people need to feel good. Get gifts from someone to feel appreciated. Because ultimately, like I said, the underlying kind of emotion underneath this is the appreciation piece. Acts of service. And it's interesting because most people say, what exactly does that mean? Um, Anything you do to ease the burden of responsibility. So it kind of means sharing the equal weight that we might have within a situation of a marriage, of a friendship. It's showing and doing things that make things easier for me. So, for instance, if you know your significant other is struggling with something, if you can do a few things around the house that's going to help, then make that offer to show, hey, it seems like you got a really you know, busy week. You know, Do you want me to take your car to the shop instead and you can do something else? Or it might be a coworker. You see they are absolutely just loaded with work and you have a little less to do to offer and say, hey, you know what? I can help you with this project because I'm done with this if that's going to help you out because I can see you got a lot going on. You're acknowledging it. And then you're offering to help because you see the issue or just showing the fact that you know they need something. There's that need piece. Um, and you might be a person who feels that way. I feel like I do everything in my relationship. I make every decision, every move we made, every plan we do. I do everything. I'm the person at work that does everything. Yes. So acts of service is key. And that final one, physical touch. And you know what? I think most people, but not all people, really have the physical touch thing. Um, it's that intimacy. And here's the thing about physical touch. It goes beyond the bedroom. Um It may just literally be a hug, a pat on the back, holding hands, a thoughtful touch, the arms, the face, just pretty much showing concern. Because sometimes it's not what we say, it's what we do that lets a person know that we know that either they're going through something, it shows that we care. It's just that simple. Now, be mindful because physical touch within certain realms can be restricted, so don't get yourself in trouble. But... The reason I describe these to you is because which of these five languages of love do you feel really embodies who you are as a person? Do you feel like, you know, I do kind of need to hear things to feel appreciated? Or, no, it does matter to me the time that I spend with people and that it's used in a way that I feel like it's appreciated and it's, it's good for me. I enjoy it. Um, I do like when a person gives me gifts for my birthday or when that person surprises me or something happens and I didn't know it was going to happen. Or I get a small trinket or a gift. It tends to make me happy. I like receiving things. Um, the act of service. Do you like when there's balance, when people are willing to step up and show that they they are concerned about the fact that maybe you're doing too much or you're willing to share the they're willing to share the burden with you? And the physical touch part. You know, a lot of people complain within, especially their intimate relationships, that outside of sexual interaction, that they often don't get any type of real physical touch. And here's the thing. Some people love to hold hands. They love to get a kiss. Um, as we talk about PDA, public display of affection, some people hate that and other people love it. And the worst thing that could happen is you be a person who loves PDA and you're with someone who hates it. Because that means you're always going to be probably bumping heads about it especially if you just want to walk over and just hold their hand and it makes them uncomfortable and then if you pay attention you may find how this kind of flows to the rest of your relationship so let's say this if you are a physical touch person and your significant other your friends whatever don't know it how does that play on how you feel within your other relationship realms and how does it impact you personally If you're a person that needs quality time and yet you feel like that's constantly skirted with key people in your life, how does that make you feel not just in those relationship realms, but how does it make you feel on that personal level? Because remember, once you understand where you fall in these love languages, the reason it's important to know is because it allows for you to be the one to tell someone how you need to be loved or how you need to be appreciated or the interaction that you would like to have from them. But if you yourself don't know, chances are you'll take what you're given and often that's where unhappiness comes in, which means you're not working towards gaining that happiness and getting that satisfaction and success that you want in your daily life because you're allowing what others want to give you be what you receive. And that's where often people fall into being unhappy and not moving towards ambitions that they truly seek. Healthy relationships, a great job relationship, being a good parent, because they don't know at the core of it, who they are to be able to address those issues. And that's what getting to know you is all about. My, me, myself, and I, De La Soul, saying, oh, I love that song, it just popped in my head. But you have to get intimate with you before you can really get intimate with anybody else. And that means really looking at yourself in the mirror and exploring those attachment styles and saying, is this me? And trust me, if you happen to be on the lower end, like the, let's say, avoidance side, dismissive, you might struggle with it. And to be honest, there's very few people who can flat out say they're secure. But what's interesting is, even if you start out as being one of those attachment styles, once you become aware because you've learned to be objective and your self-awareness has raised, it doesn't mean you can't change how you then interact with other people because now you're aware of how you've been behaving and how it's impacted you and how it's an impact all your other relationships. And that's the point of this podcast. It's not that you're fixed, because you can always change. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. All right, everybody, that's a lot in episode four. Episode five will build on this a bit more. We'll get into testing your personality and attachment types, but more importantly, the feedback you get from others, how to process that and use it productively to understand yourself better. Just when you think you know yourself, do you ever hear someone say, I think you're angry or I think you're selfish or you're very narcissistic and you're like, how can this be? We're going to jump into that in episode five, the other side of getting to know you, which is me, myself, and I. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. As I said, the whole purpose of this podcast is to help you to identify your ambitions and harness that motivation to help you acquire the success and satisfaction you seek in your life remember episodes can be found on uh the in the itunes store google play as well as the amazon amazon store and of course you can find it at my website mayakai.com also don't forget that if you want to dig deeper into some of these resources I do have them on my website mayakai.com just go to the podcast resource look for the episode number episode four and there'll be additional links so you can read up on more stuff and um, have access to some of the research that I use to actually prepare this episode for you so until next time everyone remember remember your present becomes your past which makes your future no more. So make the most of every day. Ciao.
0: Get inspired, get motivated with Maya Akai and the Maya, My Ambition, Your Ambition podcast.
1: Something that I take pride in is trying to be forward thinking, thinking outside the box, challenging myself. And as I challenge myself, hopefully I challenge you. Find Maya on Twitter and Instagram at Maya underscore Akai.
0: On Facebook at Maya Akai Presents.
1: We're going to talk health, wealth, fitness, mental health, financial. Lots of different things that can empower you as you seek out the ambition that you're pursuing.
0: pursuing. Or get everything Maya at MayaAkai.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. Money Man's hit single 24, out now. Dedicated to the late Kobe Bryant. Now playing on all platforms. Tap the link to listen.